nobody says no to a good story. If you say like, oh, I've got a great story for you. Nobody says, uh, no, thanks. My book is not a lead magnet and it's not a how-to and I would rather eat a bag of hair than write one right now. Have you ever wondered how successful businesses and thought leaders keep landing those big media opportunities and keep the buzz going around what they're up to? It's not just by chance. They're all using the power of storytelling. I'm Nicola J. Rowley, and with over 25 years in the media as both a journalist and PR expert, I'm here to help you unlock the story potential for both you and your brand. Everything starts with a story. This is the power of storytelling podcast. Well, hello there. Welcome to this latest episode of The Power of Storytelling. It's great to have you with us. And today we're going to be talking about why it's important to be yourself and to own it. And I don't think there is a better guest than the lady that I have coming on because she owns it in such an amazing way. She is herself, but she's also a master of storytelling herself, which is what I love. She's become known as, well, she's talking shrimp. There's a big clue. But also, she's become known for writing the best emails that actually get amazing open rates, and they also get success. So I'm delighted to have the fantastic Laura Belgray with us. Hello, Laura. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. What a lovely uh, introduction. Oh, of course. Of course. We were just talking before we came on air, and I've been following you right since the start of my entrepreneurial journey in terms of setting up my own communications agency in 2019, because I heard that one of my coaches, my business coach, was at a writing retreat that you ran in Florence. And you were teaching people how to be able to talk in stories. And I know, like, obviously, that's everything to me. Like, you know, if I was to get someone Mm -hmm. to come in and talk to me on this podcast, it would be you, because we're going to get the fact that stories are so important. Yes, they are. Nobody says no to a good story. If you say like, oh, I've got a great story for you. Nobody says, uh, no, thanks. Right. <laughs> we're, we're wired for a story. We all want like, oh, there's a story there. That's what interests us. We don't want facts. We don't want lessons. We want story. That's it. What I love is you've got your book out at the moment, Tough Titties. You have bucked the trend because you could have written a self-help book. You could have written a business book, how to become a successful copywriter, learn how to write in a successful way to turn over like, you know, multi-millions and everything else. But you didn't do that. Why did you choose to stay in your own lane and insist that you went down the path that you have done with the book? Well, you're right. Not only could I have written a copywriting book or marketing book or self-help book, but I was expected to. That is what uh, publishers would think I, my audience wants. That is what would lead directly to people like reading the book and then taking a quiz in the back and then you know using the QR code to come over to my site, etc. So direct, you know, it's not my book is not a lead magnet. 
and it's not a how-to, and I would rather eat a bag of hair than write one right now. Never say never, but that's just not, like I have courses on that stuff. I don't really, I had no interest in putting it into a book. I wrote the book because I always wanted to write the book because I had stories to tell. I had a story to tell, and that was what I wanted to write the book for, to tell them slash it. And so, um, yeah, I bucked the trend and probably gave up the possibility of a, a bidding war and lots of publishers saying, oh, this is what her audience wants. I'll pay X for it. I got, I found one publisher. I mean, my agent did. One agent said yes, and then they got one publisher to say yes. And happily, uh, it's, it's a book. That's why I didn't go with the uh, best practices, which I rarely do. Um, in f- and I just gave them up in favor of expressing myself. I think being self-expressed is the ultimate state and pleasure and privilege. And to not feel self-expressed is a tragedy. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's so important. We feel like we have to do things in a certain way. We feel like we have to have constraints placed on us, like we must come across as very professional. We must do this. We must do that. I've lost count of the number of times where I've been about to go live with someone and I've forgotten to put a light on or something like that. And and you get me at the top <laughs> of the live going, oh, I'm really sorry about that. Here I am. Um, because it's so important <laughs> because people realize that you're a real person. I'm sorry to say that like all my lives, anytime I agree to host a live for somebody, like my friend Jen Gottlieb's book came out yesterday and I did a live with her for it, um, for my audience, for my followers. And as always, it starts with like a good minute of me staring at the camera, waiting for people to come on. I'm like, oh gosh, Um, I didn't realize that. Like you can't really edit it down before you post it. Like this, this is embarrassing, but that's me. That's me being me. And that is what comes across in the book as well. And we were chatting about some of the moments for whatever reason, they've really struck a chord with me. So the first thing that struck a chord was Deb Fishbone. We all have a Deb Fishbone in our lives. Someone who has been almost like a little bit of a nemesis. It's that kind of like person throughout your life, like when you were younger, that you kind of, you wanted them to like you, but for whatever reason they didn't. Tell us a little bit about your Deb Fishbone and how <laughs> and how that kind of panned out. Like, tell us the story around that. My Deb Fishbone um Basically, in sixth grade, she stole my best friend from me. That happened on the first day of sixth grade. Like, I had had a best, best friend in fifth grade, and we did everything together, uh, except we went to separate summer camps, and then we had a pact that when we came back from camp, the first the day school started, when we could choose, that was um, sixth grade was when you get to choose a language at our school. Uh, we had a pact that we would take Spanish together. And we were all gathered for that assembly and the head of the school said, everyone taking Spanish, go to the right. Everyone taking French, go to the left. And I was like, all right, a la derecha, vamonos, Deb. Um, my best friend was named Deb also. And I looked around, I was like, Deb? And there she was sitting with Deb Fishbone, or as I called her, Mean Deb. Um, 
and on the on the left side, on the French side, and they raised their hands like champions in the air and said, yay, French, Spanish is for losers. And from that day on, <laughs> Deb was no longer my best friend. She was Deb Fishbone's best friend. And they, called, they were called Deb Squared. They were Deb and Deb. We'd been Laura and Deb. And um, Deb Fishbone really launched a campaign to get everybody in the grade and the school to hate me. She not, not only kicked me out of my friend group, but uh, kicked me out of society pretty much. And everybody was mean to me that year. She made my life a living hell. And worst of all, this was the part that scarred the deepest or really stuck with me. Um, we had gotten back this creative writing assignment that we had had to hand in. And mine was a piece of fiction. It was not autobiographical. It was about a um, a totally different girl named Liddy, not Laura, who went to a totally different private school in Manhattan. And um, it was absolutely fiction, made up story. And Deb Fishbone grabbed it out of my hands in the lunchroom. And I was holding it proudly. She grabbed it right out of my hands and started reading it aloud and just had her, her spidey senses you know, for like, what will hurt the deepest, uh, guided her. She just flipped it open to a page and started reading out loud. I have good friends, but I feel like I'm losing them slowly. And then she looked up at me and goes, this is you. And I was like, oh, no, it's not. It's fiction. And she was like, no, this is you. And just continued to make fun of me. And I've just never felt quite so exposed and embarrassed. And I had, I had written that, you know, I had written that story joyfully, like I wrote anything back then, um, until I, until she was part of me becoming, and, and so was adolescence, but she was a big part of me becoming a self-conscious, self-criticizing, self-censoring person. I, I think I realized in that moment, at least subconsciously, the lesson that I spent so long unlearning which is that a person not liking you can ruin your life. And that's just not the case. But we all pick up that lesson at some point. And um, it's, it's something worth unlearn spending the rest of your life unlearning if you have to, like constantly reminding yourself, one person disliking you cannot ruin your life. It is okay to be disliked. You are not for everybody. You can't be. And you have to be you. And we all have these moments where we're told either explicitly or implicitly by consequences that it is not okay to be ourselves, that being yourself can get you into trouble, that being yourself can get you kicked out of the tribe. You know, it's very primordial. Um, and so it's something worth fighting, like for as long as you live, just fight against that instinct that says, I have to be for everybody. I have to please everyone. I have to be like. In actual fact, Deb Fishbone has taught you a massive lesson, like in terms of like that mm -hmm. life lesson, when, we, when we're picking those up as we go through each of the chapters of our lives. She did really teach you stay in your own lane, Laura, because actually, if you look at probably, I, I have no idea where she is now or what she's doing. Do you even know what she's doing now? Oh, yeah. I mean, what that, that chapter is not just about what she did to me in sixth grade, but um, kicks off from a place of me friending her or hate friending her on Facebook decades later, and then following her on Instagram. And 
finding her to be delightfully unremarkable and basic just a work a day person working an office job and some something in insurance and the only thing i really saw of her on i think she um i think she blocked me but when when i when i friended her the only thing i would see of her in my feed was Deb, the chapter is called Deb Fishbone Likes This. And it's because the only thing I would see of her was her name and her thumbs up atop all these major retail ads like Bloomingdale's Deb Fishbone Likes This, ASOS Deb Fishbone Likes This, Revolve, Shopbop, Nordstrom, Saks, Deb Fishbone Likes This. So in my mind, she was just sitting there at like a you know, is sitting there in the dark at her computer at work behind in her work, I like to imagine, and just blindly clicking like because she's told to on all these major retail ads. Whereas, as we all know, talk, talking shrimp <laughs> is a huge success. And there is a reason for that. I mean, obviously, you. you're a natural writer, but you're also a natural storyteller. And the, some of the emails that you send to the people that are on your list. And I've been on your list ever since 2019. And it's things like there's an argument going on in the street downstairs outside my apartment. And it's about this. And what it does is it just draws people in. Has it always come quite naturally to you to think in that way? And then obviously then relay that to to the people around you? Well, I think I, I've always been an observer. And part of that comes from being kicked out of my friend group in sixth grade. Like when you're a huge nerd and unpopular in middle school, you do become a keen observer of life around you and storyteller. And you're kind of looking at who's doing what and what, what makes someone popular and how people work. But I have always had an eye for detail and like to, uh, I would remember conversations that's been I think a natural gift of mine and something I love doing. I love eavesdropping. I love writing down everything I heard and then telling somebody about it. And so that's always come naturally to me. And I think the trick was to, when I was trying to figure out what to do with my life and what to do with my writing and the kind of writing I love to do, the trick was figuring out over the years how to use those stories to actually sell. And I did over time, like by, through practice and through having an audience and selling them things. That's what I but did. But you didn't necessarily go straight in and think, right, you know, I'm going to have a an online business and this is how I'm going to do it and start mm -hmm. writing on the internet. And that's how I'm going to manage to build this empire that I now have. Um, no. You started off as a, a TV writer, didn't you? You were writing ad spots for TV. Yes, I was writing promos for TV networks, um, mostly Nick at Night, Nickelodeon, TV Land, that uh, Viacom family. I mean, I started off in magazines the first couple of years after college, once I finally started working in actual jobs. My dream was to write for TV in some way. I didn't know what form it would be because I didn't have an idea for a TV show. People would say, write a spec script. Like that means you have to write the whole script for a TV show that exists um, and apply somewhere else. And I just 
I didn't feel like I had it in me. I wasn't just lazy about it. I was blocked. Like I just didn't know what kind of writing I wanted to do. But I discovered a thing called promos, which was writing those little spots that the networks run that advertise their own shows. So a, a very famous one is it's not TV, it's HBO, RIP HBO, because it's now Max. But um, that, <laughs> or just those spots that say tonight on CSI, tonight on Law and Order, tonight on Friends, like for reruns and, and also for new TV when they launch a new show. So I was writing those for a couple of decades and never expected to have an online business, never expected to have a business. It was not a vision in my head at all, the way it is for some people. But I mean, it's led to amazing things, because obviously, you've got a book, you've got yeah. all kinds of things going on. And when you did make that change and start thinking, okay, so maybe I could do this. I know that you would say that it was a slow burner. You took your time to get to where you are today. But I think that yeah. that in itself is really refreshing. We hear so many times where people are just like, make six figures in six months and do all of these things in business and actually go at your own pace, the pace that works for you, be yourself and other people will find you, they'll be attracted to you, and they'll they'll want to be part of your world. That's absolutely true, um, especially if you are expressing who you are in your work. If you make your business an expression of your personality and your values and who you are, the right people will be drawn to it and want to buy from you. And it doesn't mean you have to take forever doing that, but you do have to go at your own pace. I think um, trying to go at everyone else's pace or what you think their pace is when you see them suddenly ex seemingly exploding overnight, that's a recipe for burnout. I mean, I think, it's, I think taking action is great. I think taking swift action is great. It's not my fort. Um, I, I am pro-velocity and momentum, but it's not, I would say that's my Achilles heel because I'm a, someone who marinates on ideas. I think about them for a long time. I, um, and I don't feel like it. I'm always like, yeah, tomorrow, maybe tomorrow I'll do it. So that's, I mean, that's my style. Sure enough, when I got the book deal, like I thought I was going to crank it out. They, when they told me my deadline, when I got the book deal, they told me my deadline, it seemed so far out. And I was like, I've already written so much stuff. I just have to really shape it a little bit. Just got to give it a trim, uh, shape it up. I can get this out much faster than that. And they were like, all right, if you say so. And then um, it turned out I had to, like I had a full year of meltdowns and breakdowns and putting it off and had to then get an extension on my deadline. And in the meantime, while I was working on my book and agonizing over it, during that time, friends of mine asked me for advice on getting an agent, on getting a book deal, on writing a book. And their books came out like we're actually out in the world long before mine. That's my pace and that's their pace. But that is you owning it. That's you owning being yeah. you. And that's what yeah. endears people to you to follow you because you don't need to do things in any other way. And I think it's a really valuable lesson. And I hope that if you're listening to this episode right now, tune in to what lights you up and what way you like to work 
and then lean into that like Laura does, because it's really important that you aren't trying to be like someone else because you'll only ever come unstuck like that. Laura, I think other things that I really took away from the book, you actually touched on quite a hot topic in terms of why you've decided not to go down the road of having children. I know that you wanted to include that and it was really important to you that that chapter was in there as well. Is that because you get asked all the time or is that because you just wanted to like, actually just talk about the elephant in the room? It's both. I mean, I no longer get asked all that much. I never get asked anymore if I'm ha- if I'm going to have kids. Uh, I am past that age, uh, visibly so. And but I I am asked frequently if I have kids. People will just say, "Do you have kids?" And for the longest time, when I was on the fence and really struggling with the decision, I would say no. But you know, maybe I'd say no. I'm still on the fence or still deciding. I would always trail off. And these days, my answer is just no. Sometimes it'll be no. Do you? Because really, they just want to talk about their own kids. But I wrote the chapter for a couple of reasons. One was that it's just a story I like to tell. And it's part of me expressing myself and telling you who I am. And it's a story worth telling because societally, we are so pressured to have kids. And that is, um, that's society's version of a woman having it all. A woman who has it all has a successful career, a great marriage, and kids, and plenty of time for it all, to spend, to be present with all of it. And uh, so even if I have a great marriage and great career, I am not considered, I don't fall into the category of having it all. And a lot of people will say like, yeah, well, you don't have kids. You can do that because you don't have kids. Well, yeah, that's true. I have more time. I do have more bandwidth and more freedom and <laughs> to do what I want. Um, but another reason I wrote it, like besides just telling my story and talking about me, is I did want to help people, give them, give other women permission to not have kids or to be on the fence about kids or maybe even not be elated about their kids because uh, there's a lot of pressure to love that to say that it's the greatest love they've ever experienced etc um, and give younger women what I never had when I was on the fence which was a sign from up ahead a signal from up ahead like it's all good up here so far, so good. I love my life because I looked everywhere for evidence that a woman could choose not to have kids and still live a fulfilling life. And the media gives no airtime to anybody who doesn't have kids. They don't, there's no cover of Us Magazine or people that says, yay for Jennifer Aniston, she doesn't have kids and she's over the moon. It's all children for Jennifer Aniston at last. Oops, no, Jenny, like Jenny Annie's heartbreak, uh, you know, pregnancy heartbreak. And then it's always wondering when she's going to have kids. And then it's Jennifer Aniston is a shrew because she wouldn't give Brad uh, kids and no wonder they're divorced. And then it's like, oh, actually, it turns out she wanted kids. She's actually not so bad after all. It's just a heartbreaking story. So there was no, and that's always been the truth. Like, 
that um, the media lives for pregnancy and kids, and especially since around 2004. I don't know why. And there was no airtime at all given to the other possibility. And I would try Googling older celebrities who don't have kids. And all I would come up with was Dame Helen Mirren and Oprah. And with, for, in the case of Oprah, it was always like, Oprah, she has it all except kids. There was no signal from up ahead. And so I wanted to give that to women today who are in their teens, 20s, 30s, maybe even early 40s, and are still struggling with that decision. Do I want kids? And will I be okay if I don't have them? It's an individual choice. And that's, you know, I think it's one of those things. And I think it was great that you put that in there. And I speak as a as a mum of one as well, having consciously made the decision, it was only going to be, he was just going to be by himself. Laura, if you were to look at all of the chapters in your life, which one would stand out the most for you? Uh, <laughs> that is a really tough one. I don't, I think it depends on the day you ask, but Whenever someone asks, what was the most difficult chapter to write in your book? Or what is the f- your favorite chapter of the book? Often, I will say the one called He's Never Going to Leave Her, which is about two and a half years I spent in a toxic relationship with a married, my married salsa instructor. And that, I think, one reason it stands out right now in this conversation is because that was a time in, the, in my life where I felt least like myself, not only because it was sort of me looking at myself from the outside, from above saying, who is this person? What is she? What are you doing? What are you doing with this guy? Also, because I was in a world of people who were not my people. His culture was so different from mine, not that there's anything wrong with that, but the, and the people we were surrounded by were just they were not my people. We didn't talk about the same things. And he and I didn't like the same things. We didn't like the same movies. But I was always uh, putting that aside to go to the movies with him, whatever he wanted to say. It was a chance to be alone with him in the middle of the day. Okay, we'll go to a shark movie. Okay, we'll go to a, like the most ridiculous horror movie ever made. And he would say afterwards, oh, I thought that movie was so well done when it was like the worst garbage you can imagine. It was such an alienating feeling. That feeling of, uh, it was a constant um, feeling not like myself hangover, feeling unseen, not understood, and not not inside myself. You were compromising you know yourself, I mean? weren't you? And that's the thing. You weren't yeah. staying in your lane. You weren't being true to who no. you were. And it felt alien to you. So therefore, that's why it is so important to embrace who you are as much as you possibly can. Laura, it's been brilliant to talk to you today on The Power of Storytelling. If anyone wants to, first of all, find out more about you, where can they find you? They can find me at talkingshrimp.com. That is my digital home. You will find my book there. By the way, there are great storytelling and writing resources that come free as a bonus with my book. Uh, depending on whether you buy one copy or three. And um, 
highly recommend. I don't sell them anywhere. You can only access them if you buy the book. Uh, and so find that at, at talkingshrimp.com slash book. And you'll also find other freebies for help with your storytelling and all that. And then on Instagram, that's my main social platform. I'm at Laura Belgray. Amazing. If you could leave one piece of advice for our listeners, what would it be? Stay true to who you are. Be yourself and know that in doing that, you are giving relief and permission to somebody else who needs to see you being yourself and then they become more of themselves and so on and so on and it creates a ripple effect. We're all about that. Yeah, we are. Thank you for joining us today on The Power of Storytelling. And don't forget, if you are thinking, am I ready for PR? Do I need to do this? Do I need to be more visible? You can take our free quiz, pr-quiz.com, and you get a free PDF report at the end. Until next time on the podcast, we'll see you then. <laughs>